Hello friends, this is Steven. Just wanted to hop in and record a little bit of an intro to update all of you listeners on where we've been and what our future plans are with Whiskey Bench. As many of you know, or anyone that is a consistent listener, I'm sure has realized we kind of have vanished off the face of the earth since October. Long story short, my father was battling cancer for the last three years, and in October, his health really made a turn for the worse, so I just kind of needed to drop everything and go uh, spend time with him and family. Uh, He passed away in November, and since then, just working on going through the holiday season and the new year, just kind of focusing on some other things in life, obviously. However, I'm recording this now in January, and Kat and I have met, and we are continuing on. We love Whiskey Bench. We're so grateful for all of you listeners. And so, starting with the release of this old episode that I never edited, we will be getting back into the swing of things. This episode uh, that you're about to listen to was recorded, uh, I believe, October 13th, 2021. I do believe I mentioned that in the recording itself. We discuss the attacks on Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 concerning the Ukraine-Russian conflict. And although this is a little bit outdated, I still think what we talk about is uh, important. And we do dive into some of the long-term effects that we have yet to see surrounding the conflict. Before I let you guys dive into this episode... Just want to thank Kat for diligently taking care of Twitter and Instagram for Whiskey Bench during my hiatus. She really kept things going, which is great. She announces in this podcast something very, very exciting. There's a lot of beautiful things happening in 2023, and I want to keep on moving. So again, thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoy this episode. And our next recording will be a fresh, up-to-date, and relevant news and brews, followed by diving into a new mini-series, which I think will be very exciting. Again, enjoy. Thank you so much. Hello, welcome to the Whiskey Bench. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. I hope everyone is doing lovely this evening. We are back. For an episode of News and Brews this evening. News and Brews. October 13 is the evening of recording. Mm. Kat and I were just talking about uh, the age restriction pop-ups that you get on websites. Don't make no sense. How? Yeah. Like, I just went in to to look at the beer we're going to drink tonight, and it says, are you over 21? Yes? No? Like, first of all, what saint out there is clicking no? Right. <laughs> right. Second, how is this covering their asses? And can you like order online? Is that part of it? Yeah, I, I don't is know. Is it like it's not like pornography? Like right, kids yeah. are like googling beers. Right. Yeah. When they're underage. Right. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I just want to look at it. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as a as a kid, like being into video games and stuff, there was always like mature rated video games right and you'd like want to watch the trailer and youtube would be like 
this is an adult video game, like adult video game. It's like blood and language and violence and stuff. And, and, and it's like, are you over 18? Yeah. Like 16 year old Steven or even younger, like 13 year old Steven's like, ah, I can't <laughs> believe I just lied about how old I am. Like, can they know? That's right. like YouTube. And you're like, there's, what are they going to do? <laughs> right. Uh. <laughs> but anyway, we're enjoying a beer. We're, we're 21. Jo- we are 21. We are enjoying our second beer, actually. True. Of the same thing. So tonight, we're drinking a, a beer from Sierra Nevada, which I believe might be the first Sierra Nevada that we've definitely we've had um, on a news and brews. Complicated brewing, easy drinking mm. is what Sierra Nevada has to say about the sunny little thing. We have 5% alcohol by volume, 12.3 <laughs> degree original gravity. What the fuck does that 3. mean? 3.4 degrees finishing gravity. Lots of gravity. 10 bitterness units. <laughs> this is their description? No, I'm just reading all the stats. Okay. This is the first for a whiskey bit. 170 calories. All right. This is why, you know, I didn't eat dinner. Yeah, let me just say, Torn is like coming in hot. Two beers. He was just slamming cured meats. <laughs> I was like, give me that charcuterie. He's had a yeah. tough week. Yeah. Uh, we got 16.5 grams of carbohydrates. Wow. These are not the high notes that people need to know. No, they're not. I'm just like going through the page. I'm trying to find. It's a citrus wheat ale. That's right. Which we were expecting an IPA, and it's definitely a lot lighter than that. Yes. Oh, here we go. Here's the official. <clears throat> here it is. Stats from, from Sierra Nevada. In Sunny Little Thing, we want that big ball of citrus to shine. That's why we pull back on the bitterness. No shade on this parade. While there's a while there's plenty of oats and wheat malt or a smooth mouthfeel, Sunny Fucking has smooth mouthfeel. <laughs> I hate that description, but anyways, go on. <laughs> Sunny has uh, hardly a dash of hops, allowing the fruit character to leap forward. We infuse the citrus in bright tanks. Think of it like dry hopping an IPA to boost aroma. Using an exclusive blend of crystallized juice squeezed right from real oranges and grapefruits. Mm. Uh, You know, it kind of tastes like a beer mosa. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. It's like very orangey. It's very orangey. Low bitterness. But it it has like that citrusy sort of bite in the back of your mouth. That finish. I have to say it kind of has, maybe just the can, there's sort of like a minerally finish. Do you get that? I'm not getting it, but it There's might like be because metallic I, aftertaste. The only mouthfeel I have going on right now is cured meats. <laughs> right, <laughs> the fat of the meats has right. neutralized yes, the minerality. Exactly. Yeah, that's my <laughs> hypothesis. Yeah, it's pretty good. It'd be great on a hot day for sure. Yes. Yeah. Before a run or after a run. Before a run. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Why not? Like, I would feel so heavy if I had a beer. 170 before a run. calories of just like, mm. you know carbs Mm-mm. it's like perfect carb up i like run. running on like an empty stomach i feel light yeah yeah i, I see that if like, i feel heavy i just like like if i'm full i feel like my legs are a gajillion pounds fair enough i don't run that much so they always feel like a gajillion pounds but I like right. smoking pot before i run really Can i say that <laughs> yeah it's legal here now right right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i do yeah, yeah. totally yeah yeah you just Keep going. Right. You know, your doctor was like, look, here is what you need. <laughs> Smoke something for Smoke you. Smoke before you run. <laughs> Here's your card. There was a sign in my office I noticed today that I've never noticed before, like a 
standard OSHA whatever. What's the word I'm looking for? Doesn't matter. Anyway. O- OSHA propaganda? Yeah, OSHA propaganda. <laughs> this bullshit. No. Um, but I've never seen one of these before. Not only did it say no smoking, it said no smoking cigarettes, marijuana, or e-cigarettes and had symbols for each of them. Right. So they're, you know, catching on. Is that because, like, people are dumb enough to be like, I'm not smoking, I'm just vaping. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kinda, yeah, I believe that, actually. It must be. <laughs> be like, I'm not smoking, I'm just ripping up a bong. <laughs> right, it's no big deal. There's a difference. Someone in the back, you know, conference room. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what's so funny about it being there. It's like, I know. there's like 10 of us, and it's like, nobody's getting high. Right. Like, what are we talking about? They're like, all right, screw you. I guess I'm doing edibles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should write it. I should do, leave like an anonymous note, like, what about edibles? Yeah. <laughs> <Question> mark? <laughs> That'd be funny. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> Are psychedelics okay? <gasps> Anyways. Well, this is good. I'm happy to be having a beer with you and getting a few laughs in because whoo-wee. Yeah. Won't be laughing for long. We will not. We're just going to do this. We can just dive in. Let's just do this. I'm just going to say I got engaged. Oh, my just God. Just because yeah. we haven't talked about that. Right. That's true. Oh, my God. But I got engaged. She got engaged. Yes. It happened. That's very exciting. Exciting. I'm excited for the wedding. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's so stressful planning a wedding. I kind of hate it, but it's okay. I just have to get over the initial like logistical challenge. You want me to like bartend or? What's no. That? No. Okay. All right. right. I That's want you right. to enjoy I yourself. Able, I won't be able to party if no, I'm bartending. I want okay. you to be able to enjoy yourself. All right. Fair. But you have to be there. So you yeah. have to like, we got to book everything. Yes. All but right. yeah, got engaged. That's great. Torn has been working his ass off. And we're going to talk about Ukraine. That's right. Yep. So we've talked about Ukraine a lot this year. Mm-hmm. A lot of the background, the history. We've done a couple episodes of News and Brews. Eh, maybe one episode of News and Brews with some updates on it. But it's been a hot second. It's not going away. It's a, it's a major, <laughs> massive conflict going on in the world. And uh, things are just continually escalating, frankly. Um, so we just want to touch base. Dive into a few various topics, a little bit about the Nord Stream, some comments from Zelensky, some miscellaneous fun facts, Yeah. general European, mm. everything's beeping, all of my gadgets are making noise, my phone <laughs> I just emailed then, you, sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I was so excited. I muted my end and then, uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, someone's messaging me. No, it's just me. Um, anyway, yeah, and then just some some miscellaneous, you know, European nonsense and all they're dealing with. So yeah, where to begin, Kat? I think we should talk about the Nord Stream pipeline sabotage. Let's do it. it today's October thirteenth, as I had mentioned. Yep. This happened as of was it the twenty seventh, twenty eighth of September? Yeah, end of September. End of September. So it was at the end of September. It's been a little while, but per usual, anything like that that happens, it's good to sit on a minute before yeah. you go too crazy on. Uh, I'm assuming everyone knows this happened. <laughs> yeah. At least everyone listening. Right. But yeah, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 were compromised. Mm-hmm. I don't believe they were full. Like They weren't currently transporting gas or at least 
something gases yeah. gases leaked gas leaked but it wasn't like actively full and so it wasn't like a crazy leak but like they were compromised the swedes have been doing an investigation yes. and it looks it's the cleared that it was an intentional attack on the pipelines right. using explosives right mm-hmm. now who, who did it did is it? the question right sort of mainstream western media has fingered russia as the culprit and if you follow Whiskey Bench on our social media channels, you've already sort of heard our thoughts on that. But yes. I think it's worth you and I haven't had a chance beyond text to really talk about it. So, I, no, you know, no, we I'd haven't. To, Not at all. Right. And I think the idea that Russia sabotage its best piece of leverage over Europe makes absolutely no sense. I agree. And the more serious people that I listen to that are on, you know, in mainstream outlets like the Wall Street Journal or regulars on the John Batchelor show, like scholars that he has on, like Anatole Levin and people like that have not outright said they think the U.S. did it, but they've acknowledged that it doesn't make sense for the Russians to have done it. Right, exactly. And then right now media is saying that like if you even, you know, like the U.S. doing it is a conspiracy. <laughs> Yeah. Like, guys, <laughs> saying Russia did it is a conspiracy. Yeah, it's it's like we under, don't know it's under either investigation, way. Right? So right. It's like you got to talk about these things and motives. <clears throat> right. And so, yeah, we really should. We really should dive into that. And like, honestly, let's start from the Russia side. Like, why doesn't it make sense for Russia? Or, or, where do we want to start? We want to start, start with why does it make sense or why doesn't it? Well, I think. The list of why does it is short. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> right. I think what I want to do is just lay out like what that pipeline represented and what it meant for each side. So like yeah. for the Russians, you know, Europe is in a b- the bind that it is because it had become overly dependent on cheap Russian energy. Those pipelines were the way to deliver that energy. Mm-hmm. And as Western Europe has imposed sanctions on Russia after it started its war in Ukraine, the Russians retaliated basically by turning those taps off. And they've used excuses like, you know, they had to do like, you know, unexpected maintenance on the pipelines and things like that. But it's pretty clear, like they're turning the taps off to increase the pressure on Western Europe. Now, as we're heading into winter and the colder months, that's all anyone's talking about in mm-hmm. Europe is like, how the fuck are we going to heat our homes? Right. The politicians are scrambling because mm-hmm. energy prices have skyrocketed to a degree. Mm-hmm. Nothing like what we're experiencing here. Germany right now, I mean, is projecting and 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 um, the UK as well. I mean, they're projecting like like especially Germany industries, like whole industries are going to be like crippled. Yeah. Because they can't afford to operate. A hundred percent. And backing up just slightly. I don't yeah. I mean. I don't know who was familiar with with the dependence on this pipeline, but like gas and fuel in general from Russia accounted for like 40% of Europe's use mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. 40% of Europe is running yeah, off of... they're overly yeah. reliant on it, which yeah. by the way, side note, Trump warned, it's on video, <laughs> right. warned Germany yeah. and everybody mocked him at the time. And I was like, well, I wasn't wrong about that. Right. Anyway, so so the pressure is sort of building for the europeans to concede so i think putin and russia's idea using this tool as a leverage is as the winter months come on and the constituents in western european countries grow cold and frustrated they are going to press upon their leaders to force 
Ukraine to cut a deal with Russia to at least have a ceasefire to the war so that they can turn the taps back on and get mm-hmm. cheap Russian energy once again. Now, so that's so that's Russia's calculus. They want to keep this pipeline. They're going to keep it off for now to increase the pressure, but they want to be able to eventually turn it back on. I mean, they're waging a war. They need what the to revenue. Fund it. Yeah, yeah, I yeah mean, right. Honestly, like which they, like they found you know ways of like right. selling to India, and then India sells to Europe, and there's you know these convoluted right. schemes and stuff, and they're selling to China a bit, and blah blah blah. But like. That's their leverage over Europe, even beyond like the revenue. Like Mm -hmm. that's how they can put the squeeze on Europe to stop funding and supporting Ukraine. Right. Now, from the Ukrainian perspective, Mm -hmm. they're worried that that leverage will work and that the Western powers, including the U.S., that are subsidizing their war are going to eventually be like, look, the cost is too high. We can't keep this going. You guys need to cut a deal. Now, for, from Zelensky's perspective, if, he, if that were to happen, if yeah. the leverage worked, everyone got squeezed, they said, fuck it, we can't do this anymore, we need the energy, cut a deal. If Zelensky were to concede and agree to that, mm-hmm. the nationalists in his country that are doing the dirty work on the front lines actually fighting this war yep. and are the ones who have pushed them to say, not only are we defending our current territorial boundaries before the invasion, we're going to take back territory we lost to Russia in 2014. That's a big deal that that's what they're going for. And that kind of ensures that this war is going to rage on for a long time. So if he were to capitulate and try to cut a deal because the Western powers put pressure on him to do so, he then has to face the nationalists in his own country. So Zelensky's in yeah. this like kind of impossible position where like it, he's worried that the, you know, the West is going to give up and want him to give in. And if he gives in, he will be ousted for sure. And if not, maybe killed. Yeah, that's more of a drug into the streets kind of situation. Totally. Yeah. So he's in an impossible position. Now, what could alleviate that and, and make that go away for him? Take the energy leverage off the table entirely. Right. Then, even no matter how cold the Europeans grow this winter, that pipeline, that energy source is gone. Russia's no longer could possibly give them that energy source. And so that that leverage piece is is removed right. from the and, equation. And strategically, that makes a lot of sense. Of course. Yeah. Right. Right. But then on the counter of this, like, you know. There's the other side of like NATO's involvement, the U.S. involvement. I guess I'm kind of going all over the place, but like at the same time, considering like, you know, maybe the talk of the U.S. doing it, one of the reasons it doesn't make sense for the U.S. to be responsible for it is the fact that this is strengthening relations between Russia and India, Russia and Saudi Arabia, Russia and Iran and well, we're doing a lot of stupid things right. to soil well, yeah, those relationships. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the cynic in me says no one's even thinking right now in the house and and in you know in the upper echelons of our uh, our government. But I don't think that's the case, right? It just it that it doesn't make sense necessarily that the U.S. would do it. Well, I don't think it's something that like the Biden administration ordered. Sure, but. I and I could be I could be wrong about the capabilities of the Ukrainian military, but my sense is that they I mean, sure, they've shown they've shown fortitude and bravery and, you know, all of that's real and admirable. 
but like they wouldn't be operating if we weren't completely subsidizing this war right and and Zelensky right now is pushing for for more support right and this is where I wanted to go with my original thought before I totally got diverged NATO and the US specifically are going to continue to pump money into Ukraine because of the energy crisis and also as I've been thinking about this like understanding like the the NATO petrodollar like they need to maintain that order to prevent some form of like hyperinflation due to an energy crisis Hmm. because like right now the west is doing well like as far as the petrol dollar is right like the u.s dollar tied with its exports of of gas and everything like that like it's solid yeah the dollar is strong and that's harming all of our trading partners right yeah, just because it's making everything more expensive and they're already sure, dealing with inflation. but they don't want that to get worse, like the hyperinflation part of it. Sure. And I think that pinch of energy, or the pinch because of the energy crisis, could cause some crazy hyperinflation. Well, and it already has because Russia had already turned off the taps. But that's, I'm just saying, like, that's a counter to, the, to NATO being involved in this. They don't, they don't want that to be thrown no, off the table. No, I don't think NATO was yeah, involved yeah, exactly, in this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, like, that's... Yeah, a thing, right? Because if that if that collapses, then this alliance with Russia and China and and a lot of these Middle Eastern companies puts them in a position to be on top, like for the first time in a long time. Because like the U.S. dollar could just totally collapse. In well, all of and this, we're right? no longer like a net, you know, we're yeah. no longer an exporter to the same degree that we once were of energy, right? Yes. So like Saudi Arabia, I mean, look at what OPEC just did, mm-hmm. limiting the you know the number of um, limiting the amount. Of energy that they're actually going to like refine and produce. Yes. You know, like they, they do have the power and the leverage. And that happened just after that, you know, mm-hmm. after Russia had its leverage taken from it. Russia's part of OPEC. That was like, okay, right. well, right. Yeah. we're now going to limit supply so we can maximize mm-hmm. our profits in the short term and drive up the price of a barrel of oil. Right. I mean, that is like a logical like counter or response to that pipeline getting taken offline. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, so I don't think, I mean, from my perspective, Ukraine has the motive. Yes. To like sever that option so that they aren't going to get pressured by the West to cut a deal with the Russians. Mm -hmm. And my, my thought about some part of the U.S. military, again, I don't think the administration ordered this, but like there are a lot of covert missions that happen that other parts you know, the CIA and the FBI are doing shit all the time that like other branches of government don't know anything about or other True. parts of the military yeah. don't know anything about. So like that's not unheard of. I just don't know like if the Ukrainians on their own have the capability to do something of that scale. Right. Like I would I, I just because we're helping them fight this war, I would assume that they would need help with that t- like level of sabotage. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised if yeah, totally. some special force of the U.S. military was involved in that. Yeah, totally. And. But that's the other thing, too. And I mean, I guess maybe that makes sense. Because, like, you know, I think $100 billion so far has gone into aiding Ukraine. And, like, that's just a drop in the well of preserving the whole market that I was just talking about. Yeah. Right? Like, as far as what would be lost if, like, uncontrolled hyperinflation kicked in and. Yeah. And all of this, like. You know, every country's like, yeah, we can we can shell out some major cash because like the alternative of Ukraine failing is much worse or. Right. Right. So I guess that's true. 
Well, and so this is interesting, and I'm going to link it in our show notes. Excuse me. I actually just came across this today. But so a professor from Columbia University, who's like an expert on European affairs, was on Bloomberg TV giving an interview responding to the pipeline sabotage. And I just want to read a little bit from the transcript. So he said, a lot of the world is watching these events in horror. They view this as a horrible class, but clash between Russia and the U.S. They don't see this as we do in the media as an unprovoked attack by Russia on Ukraine. Most of the world doesn't see it that way, doesn't see it the way we describe it. Most of the world is just terrified right now, frankly. I would bet the explosion was a U.S. action, perhaps U.S. and Poland, which is interesting. Right. Then the Bloomberg host cut him off. And was like, you can't, he literally said like, Jeff, we got to stop there. Why do you feel that this was a U.S. action? What evidence do you have? And so then Sachs, the, the Columbia professor, goes on and he says that radars detecting U.S. helicopters in the area coupled with, um, or let me just read his quote. He said, well, first, there is direct radar evidence that U.S. military ho- helicopters that are normally based in Donetsk were circling. G-D-A-N-S-K, however you pronounce that. We're circling over this area. We also had the threat from President Biden earlier this year that, quote, one way or another, we're going to end Nord Stream. We also had a remarkable statement from Secretary of State Anthony Blinken last Friday in a press conference where he said, this is also a tremendous opportunity. That's a strange way to talk if you're worried about a piracy on international infrastructure of vital significance. So then he says, I know it runs counter to our narrative. You're not allowed to say these things in the West. But the fact of the matter is, all over the world, when I talk to people, they think the U.S. did it. Even reporters on our papers that are involved tell me, of course, the U.S. did it, but it doesn't show up in our media. And then the interview was basically like promptly ended after he said all of that. Right. Which is so interesting. And then talking about him mentioning perhaps Poland, mm-hmm. that ties into the fact that the day that Nord Stream 1 and 2 were knocked out, a new pipeline was opened, which goes from... Denmark to Poland, as well as some other countries in Europe, backed by uh, the Trans-European Networks of Energy. Uh, The project is supported by, as I said, the Trans-European Network of Energy. It enhances the diversification of gas supply into Central and Eastern Europe, as well as the Baltic states, by opening a new and important route from the North Sea into the EU. So Western Europe is still fucked until they can yes. figure out how to transport it from there. But So the Baltic Pipeline has been a project of common entrance, interest since 2013, which, as we've talked about before, there's a lot going on 2013 and 2014 in that region. They've, you know, received a ton of funding from, from the EU. I just, it just, and, and all of this, and again, we're just shooting stuff out there, but like you have to explore it, right? Because you got to ask these questions, right? There are always opportunists mm-hmm. and people are going to use war to make money. Yeah. Totally. And so you never know. You never know who is scratching whose back and who might have an incentive. And like, yes, it might be a strategical thing. Yeah. But that, that might just be the, the pitch, right? That's the selling point. Like, hey, this is good for you. And then also we're going to just make out like bandits right (laughs) right and i'm not like i'm not saying that like you know i mean that pipeline isn't a perfect substitute for right no no not at all and 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 north and to be fair like Nord Stream one and two like 
isn't necessarily even transporting that much all the time. Like, you know, there's like you said, they've been turning on it on and off and you know, it's complex, right? It's not, it's not like it was this massive thing that was like chugging. Well, it had been, it had been. Yes. But yeah. And and that's changed over the last year at least, but well, uh, because of the war, right? Because of the war, but like the thought that like, you just can't even assume that the United States might be responsible. Like, Right. It's just, it's goofy. Well, and what was interesting just to observe, and, you know, we're kind of, it's a blessing and a curse, but in this regard, I think it's a blessing that we live in this age of information where uh, through our various channels like social media and, you know, podcasts and YouTube and everything Mm -hmm. else, we can instantly see millions of people's reactions to news and the immediate reaction when this news broke was on the right. It was like, fuck yeah, America just like, America just like cut what we're saying, took the leverage from Russia. Right. And then on the left, and again, this is, I'm gauging Twitter, so it's <laughs> stupid. But, and then on the left Twitter, it was dark brandon like oh he's a badass like we just like struck at the heart of russia blah 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 and then within 24 hours the narrative had completely done a 180 and no it was russia shooting itself in its foot somehow to hurt europe more even though they had already been using it as leverage but now they can't turn it back on so like what use is it you know it it, that narrative doesn't make any sense to me but it was it's kind of scary how quickly Everybody, both sides of the aisle, circle the wagon. Yeah. And the other reason it doesn't make sense is because Russia is in control of Nord Stream. Right. They it's their ha- leverage. They don't have to destroy it. Right. To cut off Europe. And they that's what they had been doing. They have the valves, right? right. Yeah, exactly. They had been cutting off Europe to squeeze them, to force them to, yes. to capitulating like, you know, and making a deal. And like, now that's gone. They don't have that option anymore. What is, what is the... Um, what the heck? I don't want to say something stupid. Is it Occam's razor? That's Occam's razor, the simplest. The, the simplest solution, right? Yep. And like, yeah, people, it, people, I think are seeing that like Russia did it is the simple solution. But yeah, I think the simple solution is that Russia didn't do it. No, I think it's a complicated solution that Russia did it because then you have to come up yeah, with this yeah, convoluted, exactly. convoluted yeah. motive that doesn't make any right. sense. Yeah. yeah. So like the simple solution right now, because we don't know. Is that Russia didn't do it. Right. I'm confident and like I'm pretty confident. Who in that. does like, it benefit? It doesn't benefit <clears throat> Russia to lose their leverage and have their infrastructure destroyed. No. It doesn't benefit Russia. It does not. And to my point earlier, it benefits Ukraine because now the West doesn't have that they're not tempted to force them to cut a deal to have Russia turn that pipeline back on. Mm-hmm. That pipeline's gone. So they have to find alternative energy. And so they're not going to be pressuring Ukraine yeah, to cut yeah, a deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it benefits Ukraine. Yes. And it obviously further stresses Europe. Right. They're in a pickle for sure. Which I think it was like, I think that's just like an unfortunate like byproduct right. yeah, of it. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, eggs, you know. Right? Yeah. yeah. A little bit of some freezing. And Russia some, was going to keep the tap yeah. off anyway. And yeah. We don't want you to give in. We want the war to go on. Right. But again, all these things have really... Not even so distant side effects, right? Like there's going to be some immediate, immediate consequences to, to whoever did this, right? Or the result of whoever did this. You know, a great example being 
Germany just two days ago announced that they only have two days worth of ammunition in full scale <laughs> warfare, yeah. right? This year is kind of unprecedented, right? Because they they ramped up their military as well as actually were funding Ukraine as well. But, but the irony of it is that Germany over the last few years with their green initiative and everything like that has kind of screwed themselves over. Right. So even if they wanted to ramp up ammunition production and stuff like that, like they actually just don't have the energy available. No, they can't. They they physically can't. Yeah. Like I said, whole industries are projected to completely crumble. Exactly. So like yeah. Germany's kind of knocked out of honestly like And that's as the far industrial... as Russia like Germany announcing that like that that Russia's like okay, well Germany's not a threat. Right. Well, like, and Germany's, Germany's not part of NATO. Yeah. At it, that point, like it, they're the industrial powerhouse of Europe. Yeah. So without them, yes, that's pretty bad. You know, further down the line of of consequences, and yeah. most of what's going on right now in France that I'm about to talk about is is not like a result of this. It's not a disaster thing. It's it's just man made. But there's huge petrol shortages in France right now mm. due to some union strikes. So all across France right now, there's five to six hour waits for filling up gas. Oh, wow. Which is just, you know, people are fighting. Like there's been like riots, like people are like beating each other over Oof. gas. Yeah. And like there's enough gas. It's just like a supply chain issue. Now mm. imagine. Well, they're feeling the same pressure that, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know the yeah. intricacies of their supply the, chains. There's but a bunch of people. Western Europe is protesting in general. Right. But like but. right now. It's it's just a supply chain issue. There's plenty of gas that just isn't because like truckers are are not working and roads are being blocked. It's just not being brought right, hmm. and people are fighting in the streets over it. Now imagine in a few months when there actually is no gas. Right. It's kind of a yeah. Grim, that's a It's thing. a grim picture of yeah. of totally of what you know a fuelless winter looks like for Europe. Like, well, right. I mean, in in England right now, I mean, they're I think. Don't quote me on this, but their energy bills, it's something like 300 percent, like truly like several hundred percentage points. Mm -hmm. Their uh, energy bills have increased like natural gas. Yeah. Um, Businesses are closing all over. Yeah. And to your point, like what happens like that's bad, right? That's really bad. That's a huge strain on households. That's going to cause businesses to go under, which has already happened. Like people are going to be pushed into like bankruptcy and poverty. But then what happens when, like, there isn't even any gas? Then what do people do? Like, that's when then it gets really ugly. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary stuff. And if it is, in fact, true that Ukraine slash maybe with U.S. help or Polish help or both sabotage that pipeline so that that isn't even a fucking option anymore when things become really dire... Then what? We have millions of people freezing and having their lives ruined for well, a war. Well, true. And the other thing is that that's going to strategically that that very much drags the U.S. into it. Yeah. Um, my prediction is now that Nord Stream was knocked down. I have. I guarantee. We are going to send troops into Europe and we are going to station across on the border. I have no doubt it's going to happen. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if they're going to. My guess is they're going to do some sort of, not a draft, but some sort of incentivized recruiting program. Really? Right? Because the military right now is not in a good spot as far as like people leaving, people not recruiting with all the COVID stuff and 
all of like the diversity stuff going on. Like, yeah, it's kind of a mockery, right? Yeah, they missed all their targets right, for recruiting. Right. So yeah. to come back from that, they're going to need some sort of incentive program. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think there's going to be a big recruiting initiative, and I guarantee that U.S. troops are going to go to Europe because we're going to need to be there on the border because we know Germany's useless. Half <laughs> of NATO's useless, right? Like, the U.S. props up. All of it. All of it, right? Yeah. Our money's already going there. And so I, I seriously see that happening. Yeah. And they just announced that they want to do that aerial defense initiative all across mm, I'm not familiar. the Eastern Front. So the U.S. is going to come in and they're going to do like a big anti-missile. Like drill. No, defense wall, essentially. They're going to oh, install like kind of like I an see. Iron Curtain thing. Gotcha. Which is crazy. And <laughs> someone I like, um, I kind of like, his books are good. Uh made a great point he's like this is hilarious because in 2013 this is in poland the u.s wanted to put one reconnaissance like radar tower or something in poland and like the eu like freaked out it was like this big deal and now the u.s is going to fund like across the entire eastern front like a giant weapon system right you like, huh things have changed eh yeah well and it's <clears throat> you know i i'd love you know we maybe i should spend some more time digging into like European commentary on this that isn't just like what filtered through American media, but I would think that the Europeans, especially with what just happened in Nord Stream, are starting to think like, okay, once again, we've outsourced our military to the United States. Yes. And we are, looks like we're getting dragged into a big fucking war. And this wouldn't be happening if Russia hadn't invaded Ukraine. I'm yep. not abdicating Russia responsibility at all. But when you're dealing with the superpower of that stature with the kind of weaponry, nuclear weapons that Russia has, I think we need to walk that line a little more carefully than we're walking it right now. Yeah. I wanted to talk about Zelensky's comments. Yes. Can we please. transition to that? Transition to that. Yes, please. Okay. So... Shortly after this sabotage, Russia responded, Putin responded by, you know, saber rattling, saying like, this is an attack on Russia and it's an outrage and it can't stand and like, we're willing to use nuclear weapons and, you know, trying to fear monger and it works. So then Zelensky is recorded saying, basically calling for preemptive strikes mm -hmm. on Russia to prevent them from using nuclear weapons. This goes viral. It's all over the internet. People are outraged. They're like, what the fuck? This, he's like, now, like, the, okay, now he's gone too far. Like, that means we're engaging in war directly mm -hmm. with Russia. Like, that's an escalation that's really serious. So, like, one afternoon, I'm reading all of this stuff, and I'm like, damn, that's wild. <laughs> Day and a half later, yep. I tuned back in. I tuned out completely my father was in town then i tuned back in like saturday morning over breakfast and there are fact checks all over the internet about how that's not really what zelensky said and so and i watched the fucking video now i don't speak ukrainian sure. right so i was trusting the subtitles so i was like all right let's see what he really said so in a link that we're going to share in the show notes it has 
a transcript of what he said during this. Um, it was an address to Australia's Lowy Institute, whatever that is. So he was asked about whether he believed that the likelihood of the of the use of Russian nuclear weapons against Ukraine had risen um, and what more NATO needed to do to deter Russia. And so Zelensky replied saying that NATO should, quote, eliminate the possibility of Russia using nuclear weapons. But what is important, I once again appeal to the international community, as I did before February 24. Excuse me. We need preventative strikes so that they'll know what will happen to them if they use nukes and not the other way around. Don't wait for Russia's nuclear strikes and then say, oh, since you did this, take that from us. Reconsider the way you apply pressure. This is what NATO should do. Reconsider the order in which it applies pressure on Russia. Mm-hmm. He literally says <laughs> that they need preventative strikes. Yeah. And basically this fact check is quibbling with preventative over preemptive. And then it goes on to say, it's also worth noting Ukrainian, the Ukrainian word, whatever the fuck, and their, you know, characters, which Zelensky used in the address can mean a literal strike, but also has figurative meanings such as hit or blow, a nuance that perhaps has gotten lost in the simultaneous interpreting of the subsequent reporting. God, I hate it. That's their fact check. <laughs> it's like he called for preemptive strikes. There yeah. is no way around it. Oh, but strike could maybe mean hit or blow. What the fuck difference does that make? Right? I, that's, just, that's insane. It's insane. It. I was so outraged. And my dad was in town and he and I like don't agree on this whole thing because he just like hates Russia. And I'm like, I fucking don't like Russia either. And yeah. I would rather. I shouldn't say I don't like Russia, but like, I mean, historically. Yeah. Wasn't a fan of the Soviet Union. <laughs> It fell when I was born. I feel like that set me on my course. But And I know Putin's ex-KGB and his murdering mm-hmm. bastard. And if it really comes down to it, I hope we win. But like, I feel like I'm looking at the situation with like eyes wide open. And my dad, God love him, is a little bit more tribal and <laughs> refuses to be like, you know, depart from the Wall Street Journal editorial board's talking points, which like I respect them, but like they're not right about everything. And... Anyway, and I, I like tell him this and I'm reading this to him and even my dad is sitting there and I read him the whole thing and I'm like, what do you think about that, dad? And, and he gets this like, oh, sounds like he's calling for a preemptive strike. And I was like, yeah. And like, don't you think right. that's a problem? You know, yes. he's like, well, yeah, of course it's a problem. It's like, the, we can't. Right. It's and then thing, we're like, manipulated. To, yeah. You don't have to think Russia's the good oh, guy in this story. Right. To be like, let's, let's filter this out. Let's not let like the propaganda slide. Right. You know. We're letting nationalists in Ukraine drive us into a World War Three. Right. I might respect their cause, not the Nazis, but the right. ones who are just nationalists. Right. Like, yeah. sure, I get it. You've been subjugated by Russia for over a cent, almost a century and a half. Yeah. Like, I can totally empathize with that. Like, the cruelest things done to man has happened in Ukraine. I get it, but like. We don't need the whole world to get dragged into a war over that. Like, maybe I'm cold hearted for saying that, but I really don't think it's justified. Yeah. And if Zelensky, the leader of Ukraine, is calling for a preemptive strike against Russia, he's asking for a hot fucking war between the US and Russia. And that's insane. Mm-hmm. And it grosses me out that American media, I mean, this isn't a fact check. This is just spin. This is political spin. And it would, like I said, Within 24 hours, 
every media outlet was, you know, spinning the same narrative, trying to like cover it up, you know? So Zelensky went a little too far in his public address. And so everyone had to circle the wagons and cover for him to make sure that like American taxpayers are still okay with sending billions of dollars to him. It's crazy. It's, it's absolutely nuts. It's fucking crazy. Believe me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It grosses me out. And the thing is, is like, it's so disconnected with how the rest of like Europe and the United States is behaving. Yeah. With like how they're letting this narrative be manipulated because it's a big deal. Like I know like talking to my parents and everything like that and some of the older generation, like how scary like the Cold War era was. Right. And I don't like this is like close. Maybe not like nuclear standoff close, but like I don't know if people realize. Like I've been thinking about this a lot. Like this is this is a big deal. Yeah, it's and huge. like we're saying one thing, but the actions all across Europe and everything is saying something very different. Mm-hmm. Like all across Europe right now is just announced that something like sixty-two thousand bunkers are being reinitiated, yeah. enough to hold something like two million people. Poland's like literally the government's checking old nuclear bunkers yes. to see if they're still fit for use. Right. <laughs> we have yeah. a huge influx all across Europe. They're distributing ThyroSafe and various um, thyroid drugs for nuclear fallout the united states just made a massive purchase i want to say something like 60 million dollars worth of of drugs for i thought it was like 300 billion maybe something i don't know 200 million maybe i don't think it was in the billions okay but that's a lot of drugs because they're not that expensive right (laughs) okay yeah Um, yeah right yeah yeah and and you know nato now just announced that they're going to be doing some like some training drills and stuff that all involving nuclear warfare and stuff like that and so like it's on everyone's mind and like i remember months ago i have a friend in sweden she was talking about like this is really scary like we're really close to this and like this is really imminent and like they sweden like months ago like right as right as the conflict started was like ooh, starting to think about it and prep and like she was aware of it she's like this is scary like we're really close. Like if anything, like even like a small nuke, like we could be affected by this. Yeah. But like how we're acting that doesn't reflect the re or yeah, how we're, how we are acting isn't reflecting like the narrative. No, not at all. Well, and what grosses me out more than anything, like I could probably be convinced that like, this is an inevitable fight. Mm -hmm. Cold War never ended. It's finally, you know, maybe it needs to get hot. We'll finish the deal, whatever. Like you could probably spin an argument that makes some sense in that regard. But the way American media and politicians are handling this and communicating it really bothers me because we're just being. It just feels like we're these like we're just cattle being led Without even being slightly aware of where we're going. That's what that's you know? what doesn't make sense. And like this is like I said, this is a very big deal. The US is at risk of potentially being sucked into a massive war. We're not getting sucked in at this point. I yeah. think we're fucking walking towards maybe. It. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know if it's an exaggeration to say with all that has been going on with ha- with our foreign relations, especially with allies of Russia and stuff like that. Mm. We have done nothing to try and cool the situation. No, we haven't. We haven't. Like, n- no diplomatic approach. Mm-mm. We have freaking Pelosi going to Taiwan in the middle of a conflict instead of like 
trying to negotiate and help Ukraine and Russia. Right. And like, that's a whole nother topic. Like Taiwan matters, but like, that's not. Yeah. Picking a fight on the periphery of the. Yeah, yeah, totally. I know. And, and I mean that, yeah, we are going to probably fight China at some point, which means we will fight (sighs) Russia. So it's just, it's, 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 it's wild. Well, and I also think, and I've said this for so long, I hope I didn't like speak it into fruition, but I don't have that power. So that's (laughs) stupid. But like, you know, we, we are due culturally for a wake up call. And when the podcast I did for C3, um, I tried to make this point that, you know, we've been, because the whole, the premise of the podcast was like young voters thoughts Mm -hmm. on like energy and, and, you know, our generation and obviously younger generations have grown up in this time of abundance. Yes. And we have no idea what like those tough trade offs really look like. But we're getting a lesson in it by observing what's happening in Europe. We are experiencing something similar, but just to a far lesser degree. And hopefully, you know, we don't feel it the full brunt of what Europe is feeling right now, but we may. You know, shit's about to get real. Is what I it know. Seems like I know, and like yeah. here's the spin. This is funny because I've I've been thinking about this a lot for like months now. Yeah. Because lately we've been on a little bit of our like we've been on we've been on a bender so to speak. You know we're we're calling out this shit. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't ever want it to actually be perceived that like I don't think America is great. I know. I was thinking about that today, yes. too. Yeah. Like, I want, like, listeners to know, especially if you've been following along, like, yeah. we, we've been riffing on the CIA and the FBI and the U.S. <laughs> government because they suck. They do suck. Okay. But, like, I don't think we realize in the United States how incredible this country is. No. The abundance, the opportunity, the safety. The strategic placement right, between the strategic oceans. Place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no, we're it's amazing. It's amazing. Our and institutions, like, like fundamental and, ones, and diversity yeah. and ingenuity, and yeah, all of these things that are like incredible, and I'm very, very thankful for. Totally. Right. Yeah. And like, also all of our incredible service members in the military, and like, I hate war, and all this stuff, but like the people that like, my beef is with like the president and the generals, right? Like, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I want one. I want America to win, no matter yeah. what. Oh yeah, totally, right? and totally. Like, and I'm I consider myself to be patriotic. Me too. But honestly, I just think we're yeah. making. I think yeah. we're making bad decisions right. in this conflict. But like we're and so caught up. Me. And again, all these top, like we're so caught up on these stupid conversations within the United States. I'm sorry, like they're stupid. Oh, they're completely like stupid. all this culture war stuff, and like yeah. I I get it. It matters. But, like, the focus that we have on it in the United States yeah. is, like, so massive. We spend, like, three news cycles talking about probably a troll fake teacher wearing gigantic fake augmented breasts right. in a classroom. Right. Meanwhile, like, potentially the CIA is blowing up, like, a strategic pipeline in the Baltic right. yeah. Sea. It's like, or like, our priorities are fucked up. Like, you know, or per usual, like, <laughs> the unfortunate reality of war is, like... <laughs> men women and children are dying like right yeah like totally but but, oh no like whatever you know whatever thing in the united states like oh no whatever idiotic thing you want to yeah i know yeah i mean i think america is this unique brilliant experiment that has never happened in human history before us and it's a testament to like 
individual ingenuity and creativity. And we should respect that and we should risk life and limb to preserve it. I just think our culture kind of sucks right now. Oh, I agree with that. And like across the board, regardless of political party, I think like there's just kind of rot in a lot of it. Absolutely. You know, there's that. Well, it's a saying and it's become a meme, (laughs) but you know, maybe we're due for some hard times to make Mm -hmm. better men. Right. Now regarding nuclear war, the more we all talk about this, the more I think like, okay, maybe that isn't actually a real threat. So, I think it's it's unwise to say it's not a real threat. Okay. But I think that like technology has become close enough that any sort of nuclear threat that might occur is going to be I mean, okay. Let me back up a little bit. This is the irony of it all, right? Especially in the United States. And there's there's two camps in the United States because like our only experience with with nuclear war is in Japan. Mm-hmm. That's all that's all we know. Right. And there's the camp that says it's awful, it's horrible, what the United States did. No excuse. And then there's the other side that's like, well, no, it had to be done. Right. I'm not even going to get into this, okay? Sure. sure. I'm no fan of Japan in World War II. Right. Evil regime. But the side effects of, of dropping something like that is... Grotesque. Grotesque. Yeah. And <laughs> that was a small bomb. Oh, it wasn't? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> like, okay. We're talking like maybe a hundred times less than some of the stuff that we have. Okay. And so if any, I don't want to be too doom and gloom. I think if anything really truly was to happen, it's going to be like a small tactical nuke. That's going to be something like that was dropped in Japan in the forties. And it's going to be like, okay, you guys intervened and they're going to drop a bomb on Kiev or something like that, you know? Right. And it's going to be horrifying and people are going to like. But then we'll strike back immediately. And my understanding is, again, I'm not, I don't have any more knowledge Mm -hmm. on this than the rest of us, but what we've been told anyway is that if Russia does that, we have the capability to basically take Putin out. Sure. So hopefully that's a deterrent. I mean, yeah. yeah. And at the very, at the least, that means they won't be able to no one will be able to strike us in the U.S., which is maybe a selfish perspective, but, like, maybe we're insulated from the risk, which then is like, okay, so we're just playing with lives in Europe, but... Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I think we're at, like... Um, (laughs) There's... uh, (laughs) Go on, go on. No, no, anyway, the the whole point in this depressing tirade of mine and all this is, like, there are lives at stake. Yeah. And, like, I know so many people that are, like, gung-ho like Russia's evil we're the good guys and I don't necessarily disagree with that but like it's it's so much more complicated than that yeah because like Russia might be the bad guy but like (laughs) most of Russia's not the bad guy and it's like right you're just gonna like flippantly play around with potentially killing like millions of people you know, That's we, a bold position to take. Right. And you look at the history of World War One in particular. And that war that killed millions and millions of innocent people mm-hmm. was largely the result 
of like bad diplomacy mm-hmm. and people stumbling into war. Really. Like the hubris of the Austro-Hungarian Empire totally underestimating what it was going to take. Mm-hmm. Thinking it would be like a quick little excursion and they like take out Serbian threats and yeah. And it just like immediately escalated into a giant conflict that raged on for years and like destroyed so many lives. So it's happened before it can happen again, you know, where like dumb politicians or maniacal politicians or lazy politicians gamble with people's lives Mm because they aren't going to pay the cost directly. And we stumble into something that's catastrophic. Yeah. So, so that's why I think it's worth like questioning because ultimately, at least in the U S still, they answer to us. And really the media, I think is just like, Ugh, I have no respect for the fact that they're like totally down to support this without questioning it at all. But I hope more people individually can start yeah. to question stuff. And like, Man, even though even like the Wall Street Journal lately has been upsetting me. Yeah, they've been like running so many stories about like stupid pop culture stuff. And like. I'm like, just why are you doing this right now? Like, yeah, put out some good news about stuff that matters. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I don't care what like the kardashians are doing oh like with their antitrust lawsuit yeah yeah, and they're like pushing this stuff and i'm like come on right yeah yeah i hear you i don't know yeah i don't know either (laughs) one thing one other thing i was gonna note and i can keep this brief but i have a link to it in the show notes is aoc was at a town hall (laughs) and had multiple people in the audience basically challenge her on her support for the war and mm-hmm. for supporting, you know, voting to support and fund Ukraine. And it was just an interesting moment to watch because she is now in this awkward place between like the progressives and the Democrat machine. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she has ambitions. So, I mean, she's branded as a progressive, but like she wants to be a political leader. And that means getting plugged into the machine. <laughs> and from my perspective, the Democrats, the establishment Democrats, the party, has exploited the progressive wing when they needed it to get votes and to win elections. And that kind of reached a crescendo at the end of Trump's term after George Floyd and the riots and protests and COVID restrictions and stuff where they really mobilized that wing and amplified their message. So now it's the mainstream in order, again, to get, like, votes and to push, really, I think, to push Trump over the edge and, like, regain power. But they kind of created this monster. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, you know, the progressives have been convinced to, like, step aside a couple times now with, like, Bernie Sanders abdicating to Hillary Clinton and examples like that. After, like, the power that they they got in the aftermath of George Floyd and, and COVID... they're not going to give that up. Mm -mm. And the Democrat establishment to like, basically progressivism was put out on a national stage and most of the country was like, wow, that's insane. We don't actually want that. (laughs) And now everyone, the Democrats like, we'll see what happens after the midterms, but the Democrats are probably going to have to be like rein it all back in. And I don't think the progressives are going to be reined in this time. So I think it's going to be this like, I mean, there already has been this internal conflict on the left, but I think it's going to reach like, like a gnarly breaking point for the party, which will probably be good. Like, let's 
break up both parties you know i hope the trumpsters do it to the republican like let's break it all up and start fresh but it's just interesting in this clip of like aoc getting called out by like real progressives Mm -hmm. about like supporting the war and leading us to world war three and nuclear threat and all that stuff like it kind of was this little poignant like moment that i think exemplifies like that challenge (laughs) that the democrat party is going to face i'm sitting over here in like some weird elevated like anarcho (laughs) mindset i'm kind of like i'm looking over i'm like is that progressives like not not into the war i'm like let me touch right your, let me touch your hand yeah don't come too close <laughs> right but like n- n- knuckles yeah <laughs> right? like, like all right i can yeah, agree yeah, with I you can, on that i can agree that like escalating war and killing innocent people is like bad right cool, so, cool. like baseline like morals we've got that baseline <laughs> not much beyond that probably but. right yeah exactly <laughs> anyways Good lord it's crazy yeah <laughs> anyway what's the takeaway from this Hearts go out to everyone in Ukraine and Russia that are having just and across living Europe. through living through hell and question uh, the narrative and read more. Yes, <laughs> and some gratitude. Yes, we're very sheltered here. Practice gratitude, even in the midst of of some crazy conflict. Like we're so sheltered in the United States. Yeah, yeah, it's a gift. Yeah. So on that note, first news and brews we've had in a minute. We'll be back. We got some exciting topics coming up. Mm-hmm. As we're just talking about how we actually do love this country very deeply, our next few episodes might not dictate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not even about the country. No, no it's, it's not just about, about the country. You know, we love the country. We love the country. We're not fans of the government. Yes. Amen. Any government, when it gets too big, is a problem. That's right. So that's just what it is. So hopefully you'll join us for our next <laughs> our next few episodes. The the whiskey bench spooktacular. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. So until next time, be safe, be grateful, and uh, tell someone you love them. <laughs> <laughs>